Welcome to Frontiers of Faith, a podcast of the Pontifical Mission Societies. I am Katie Ruvalcaba, and with me today we have... Father Anthony Andreasi. Father Anthony's back! Are you guys so excited? Um, I know people really, really loved your episodes while you're here. It's very exciting to have a new voice. Tell us what, what you've been up to this week, Father Anthony. Um, well, actually, uh, I'm... I'm in Florida right now. The last time I spoke with you, I was in New York, and I sort of go back and forth. As you know, the Pontifical Missions has offices both in New York and in Florida, so I try to get down to Florida every three weeks or so. So, um, so um, it's actually pretty cold here. It's in the 40s, which I kind of always think of Florida as warm. Uh, today in New York, it's about 16 degrees where I went for a little jog this morning and it was 45 degrees, but I still had a hat on. So, uh, yeah, they do have a little bit of winter in Florida. I'm learning. So it's, it's winter. Is that the high for today is 40 uh, or is that just what it is right now? It, it was, it's probably going to get to 60 today. So, which is, which is still, I'm, I'm sure it's warmer than Indianapolis. <laughs> yeah. It's seven degrees right now. Um, I'm looking, our high today is a whopping 24 degrees. Wow. So for our international listeners, gosh, what is that in Celsius? Uh, 16 degrees is 16 Celsius or something. That's the same. I don't remember. Or 16 to 61. Let's see. So it'd be a couple uh, of degrees below because their zero is our 32. Yeah. It's 45 degrees. Uh, let's see. Somebody else tell in Fahrenheit. No, 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 no. Other way around. Celsius in Fahrenheit. In Fahrenheit to Celsius. It's negative four. Negative four. Okay. Negative four, four in Celsius. Ugh. I'm sure that somewhere like in the UK or in Europe, they learn how to do that conversion quickly uh, yeah. in their head. And we as Americans are just like, I don't know. It's some very cold number. I don't want to be there. We, you're, you get to escape the cold of New York and go down to the at least warm-ish of Florida. That is very exciting. You should invite me. I would love to be oh, there. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. No, uh, it's it's a new experience for me. As I, I think I mentioned in our the first time I was on the show, um, I spent the last 25 years working in high school, so I never really traveled for work. So this is, a, this is mm-hmm. very different for me. So, Yeah, it's, it's very different. I know a lot of people in the... Um, in the grayer spaces in your Midwests and maybe a little bit, actually probably a lot in the Northeast tend to get kind of down this time of year. Cause oh. there's not a lot of sun. It's so cold. We're inside with the heaters and the, and the whatnot. Your, your apartment in New York, does it have um, central heating or does it have a radiator? So the, 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 the residence I live in, the rectory I live in has a uh, forced hot air, but it's a long story and it's actually not that good. So it's, it's pretty cold. Even you have to really pump it. We used to have radiators, but we don't anymore. And radiators are the way to go when you're in a cold climate. Uh, so. Yes. I have so many friends. But friends and I discuss this, and people probably heard me ask that question and thought, like, what kind of a bizarre question is that? No. But if if you've ever experienced the difference between radiator heat and forced air, yeah. it's so much better. The forced air is just, it saps the life out of you. Like, it feels like it just sucks all the water out of you and it's you're warm but you're not happy about it yeah. now here's Radiators. one little as a former history teacher i like these little quirky little things i'm not sure if it's true in, in indiana but in new york most radiators are in front of the window so if you go into an apartment or a house they're usually in front of the window which if you think about it that doesn't make a lot of sense because you open the window and that's exact or even if the window's not open you know there's going to be a little air transfer now, why would you yeah. put radiators in front of it? It has to do with tuberculosis. So tuberculosis or consumption, as they called it in the 19th century, because you were really consumed by your own fluids, 
the thought was, but it was wrong, that the best thing to deal with tuberculosis was fresh air. So people who had TB would sit in front of the window in the winter with the cold air coming in, but then they'd have the heat in front of them. Oh my goodness. So I, I, this is not an urban legend. I've, I've kind of gone down the rabbit hole on this. I've done my homework of it. So that's why radiators often in much older buildings are in front of the window. So take it for what it's worth. Yeah, I think a lot of us take germ theory for granted because we've known, like most all of my life, we've understood how germs and bacteria and viruses spread. But it was a relatively recent oh. uh, development in science. And uh, I once read the read the story of Typhoid Mary. Oh, uh, yeah. The woman who who was accused. First of all, she wasn't even the worst of the of the typhoid people, but she just kept getting jobs as a cook and failing to wash her hands. Like that was it. Just. Just you got to stop being a cook and wash your hands. You know, it was crazy. Well, while we're kind of thinking of of ways to keep warm right now, we're in this really kind of weird space between Christmas and Lent, which is, you know, you secularly you hear about people who are like, you know, the week between Christmas and New Year's, you don't even know what day it is and, and you're confused about what's going on. That's sort of spiritually where a lot of people find themselves in this time. We're like, we kind of want to prepare for Lent. We want to sort of start thinking that way, but we're not really getting there. And, and sometimes it feels like you're maybe a little resistant to rent. Some, some guys uh, start doing Exodus 90 this time of year to try to prepare for these things. But for those of us who are kind of in this middle space, we're looking for a way to, to find hope and to find purpose in this liturgical season. I wonder if you've got any tips for us. Well, it's funny. Yesterday, I, I, uh, I got an email. Well, me and maybe 50,000 other people got an email from Cardinal Dolan. If, you know, whatever you sign up for this email distribution list, and he was communicating about some archdiocesan matter. But at the top of his letter, he's very, he almost always, I think, at the top of his letters, puts the month, how should I call this? How, you know how each of the 12 months are dedicated to a different topic, the month of the Sacred yeah. Heart? Well, the month of January he is the month of the hidden life of Christ. So mm. actually, and I, truth be told, I, if I knew that, I didn't remember it. So I, I took that as instructive. And I thought yeah, to my, I never heard that before. Yeah, the hidden life of Christ. Um, and I guess if you think about it, you know, in this, these days between Epiphany and Lent, which always change because the start of Lent is always changing. You know, last Sunday, this Sunday, we're getting the call of the of the to uh, two Sundays ago, we got the two calls of of the first uh, apostles, disciples. So things are sort of beginning with Jesus's public ministry. But we're also, you know, we're also in that state between, uh, you know, the Feast of the Presentation is this February 2nd, which is, which kind of used to be, as you know, in the old calendar, end of the Christmas Epiphany season. And truth mm-hmm. be told, in, in, the, in, in the Vatican, that's when they take down the Christmas tree. They wait in, until February 2nd. So I, and I, I, I'm, I'm meditating on this idea of the hidden life of Christ. For those of us who live in cold climates, a lot of this time is spent indoors. We're hunkered down. Uh, there's not a whole lot of sunlight. And I think part of it is just accepting this is the reality of, of where we are right now. This, you know, um, the days are getting longer. Yeah, they definitely are. They started in, you know, whatever, December 22nd. But it's so incremental. We're not really feeling it yet. Um, and I think part of it is just to accept that 
We're asked to be in a place that's more quiet, that's more sedate, um, and accept that. And rather than trying to fight against that and say, what opportunities does that give me right now? Even on a very kind of mundane thing, like every once in a while, for those of us who live in you know upper Midwest or the Northeast, um, you know, we're going to get, we got a snowstorm and it takes it out of our hands. We cannot leave the house. Katie, obviously with you, with, with several children, you and your husband, you know, okay, we're hunkered down. Everything is canceled. We're not doing anything. And to look at those as opportunities of being together in ways, maybe even like the way the pandemic offered us some opportunities of spending a lot more time together and doing that intentionally. I think that's how I try to look at it is rather than say in the summer when the weather's great, here it could be more time, obviously for, for praying, for spiritual reading. Uh, when also we given blocks of time where everything is cleared off our calendar? Sure, we can binge watch a TV show, but maybe there's something else. Maybe there's a book that puts us in a different place. Um uh, you know, sometimes a longer book that normally we won't, a book of a more serious matter that helps us to reflect on our lives that can lead. Sometimes um, sometimes when I'm going to take some time for prayer and I just am not feeling in a quiet place yet, what I sometimes will do is I will read for about five minutes of a book of a more serious nature, but not necessarily even um, a... Uh, uh, explicitly spiritual nature. It just helps to quiet me a little bit, and then I could take the next step. So that's sometimes how I look at this time of year is look at it rather than something to fight against, uh, to see it more as, as an opportunity for something that other times of the year I don't get. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's how I try to approach it. Oh, that makes perfect sense. It kind of reminds me of something you said earlier, but I want to save that for a second to sort of transition us into a different thought process. I, um, but so the second thought that you gave me there, I'm a, a gardener. I love gardens, big fan. Um, I'm learning to be a gardener. So I was not, my mom didn't garden when I was growing up. It's something that I'm sort of learning as an adult now. And as much as I hate the winter and I hate the cold, I find myself when it's a warm winter looking outside and, and seeing my daffodils come up in, in December or January and I panic like, oh no, this is bad because if you don't properly have that dormancy, if you don't properly have that bulb underwater or not underwater, I'm sorry, underground in the dark, literally freezing, like it has to get cold in order for this bulb to flower. Um, so what you're talking about there is very similar. Like you have to, as humans, we're not so different from complicated house plants is what you sometimes see online is that you need this period of quiet, of reflection, of dormancy in order to be able to have that hope that spring brings that we see in, in the Easter. Uh, and I, the other idea that comes to mind, I, I, when we were talking a few minutes earlier about germs, sometimes you hear that when we don't get a sustained cold for, um, I don't know if it's a few days or a few weeks, certain germs or viruses uh, really don't die and they just get stronger. So there is a natural cycle to this about. Now, on the other hand, um, on the other hand, the other thing I think you have to, because we are not, we are bodies and souls together and the way mm -hmm. we get to our soul is through our body you know, that great line of, of C.S. Lewis in when he talks about, I believe it's in the Screwtape Letters, it's in the Screwtape Letters, where he says, 
the de- he the, the older devil is teaching the younger devil to say, try to convince people that their posture of prayer is not important. Does it matter? And obviously, we know that's that's very that's a bad idea. But um, yes. But a friend of mine once had this little aphorism: three words. Movement is medicine. And I think about mm. in the winter, one thing we do have to be careful about is not to be too sedentary. Um, last year, I, I kind of t- was able to take a little bit of an extended time at a monastery to just kind of, you know, take a, I had, I needed like a little mini sabbatical. And I, even in the winter in this monastery, you, people are working. Now they're working indoors mostly, but it's not like, and even if we're con- we're confined to our houses, we're confined to our houses or indoor spaces, we have to also be careful not to be too sedentary because we need to get our bodies in motion uh, because our spirit obviously is so affected by our bodies. We know that. Um, and the ancients knew that without any uh, study of kin- kinesthetics or anything like that. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems to be the two... Um schools of thought in this whole thing is that, you know, you either hustle really hard and, 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 uh, and, and keep yourself moving like a shark, which generally is where I usually go in the winter. It's like, if I don't go to the gym every day, if I don't spend time in movement every day, then I'm going to collapse and be the end of it. And then there's the, I need to be a bear and hibernate. And I think really we need to find a nice, happy middle ground for all of this. And the thing that I was alluding to before, when you were talking about that time of quiet and time of rest is you'd mentioned while you were in Malawi several weeks ago, maybe it was last week, I'm not even sure, um, where you were in the monastery and it was quieter and, and calmer and things like that. Can you tell me what a time of quiet looks like in the mission territories and what it, especially in Malawi, like what was that work like? What was that balance? Well, a couple of things that impressed me about um, the way the liturgy is celebrated and well, you know, I've, I've, and maybe some of us have seen this at least on YouTube or television, um, sometimes African liturgies are very, very lively and allowed in music. But what the other thing I notice very much so is the sense of quiet and recollection at other times in the church, in the physical church. So when his people are arriving for, for mass, there is a respectful silence in the church. As And we're not talking, we're talking about church that's very crowded. We're not talking about... Um, you know, where some of our churches in the big cities uh, seat 800 and maybe before mass, there's 30 or 40 people scattered around. These people are sort of shoulder to shoulder, but there is um, a respectful silence with that also. Um, mm. and, and that was something I noticed. And then when we did visit uh, various outstations, uh, it was very, very common to come into a church that was you know open during the day and to see people quietly in prayer. I think also too, um, while some of the adults that we met in, in Malawi, um, not met, not all, but especially had electronic devices. Um, most people did not, I mean, none of the children did. Um, so that I, I mean, obviously we've been living with these things for going on two decades, maybe three now. Um, mm-hmm. people are able to be present to each other. And I think also more present to the Lord without the, without that distraction that as we know. So I think, and, and I, obviously I don't know what the future holds, probably the future holds that a 
more of these devices are going to wind. And I'm not saying they shouldn't because obviously it brings opportunity, but like anything, it's a, almost always a double-edged sword. It's always a double-edged sword. So. Yeah. That's one of those things that people like to consider for Lent often is giving up their social media or giving up their devices a little bit. I knew a guy once who used to change his um, cell phone to be in black and white during oh, Lent right. so that it had no colors. Apparently that's a huge thing. Like it's a deterrent to wanting to use the device. And I think, I think that's interesting. You're talking about there being a more an incoming prevalence of those devices in, in the African or the mission churches. I know when we were in India, we saw every, everybody, uh, well, with very, some, some exceptions where they were like super, super, um, remote locations, but a lot of people had cell phones out in the, in the, the villages in Africa and the tribal peoples. And it was funny cause they didn't speak the same language as us, but they knew the word selfie. <laughs> they wow, would ask wow. us for selfies all the time. It was crazy. Uh, it was super fun, but it's a good, it's a good where, thought. And I where, think it's a Yeah. So you went to Africa too, or just India? Just India. Oh, okay, okay. I haven't been to yeah. Africa. And where in India, did, a, where in India were you? We got to go kind of everywhere. We started in Mumbai and then looked at all of the uh, mission territories that are over there on the, what is that, the west coast of, of Africa, I mean, not Africa, of India. Uh, and then we flew to Chennai, which is the uh, other side. That's where St. Thomas was. And it was uh, the far east coast of, of India. And, um, and then we went to the south um, to a place called Pondicherry. And then there was another place down there called... Um, so you in Kerala? Were you in Kerala? Yeah, in Kerala. Oh, Kerala. That was okay. down there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, lots of fish in Kerala. There's a, there's a really beautiful picture on our Facebook page for the Frontiers of Faith of the um, fishing boats out there in Kerala. So it was really just a lot. And, and when was that? When was that? That was last March. Oh, um, oh it's all, not even a year. Okay. No, yeah, not even a year. The TPMS decided to save me from the winter last year oh, and, okay. <laughs> and take me to a warm climate where I got to put my feet in the Indian Ocean and the Bay of Bengal all in like a one-week wow, span. Wow. So it was a lot. Well, I don't want to uh, abruptly throw us into the uh, the gospel, but I no, think sure, now's a good sure. time to check it out. All right, so we are looking at the gospel for the, was this the fourth Sunday in Ordinary Time, really trucking through Ordinary Time here. And this is from Mark uh, chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Then they came to Capernaum, and on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. The people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not, and not as the scribes. In their synagogue was a man with an unclean spirit. He cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him and said, Quiet, come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsed him, and with a loud cry came out of him. All were amazed and asked one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. His fame spread everywhere throughout the whole region of Galilee. That has never happened at mass for me. How about you, Father? What? <laughs> unclean spirits being oh, driven oh, out. Yeah, no, right, right. Not in that sort it's of... It's a rare one. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, I did go to several baptisms and babies do like to cry during them, but <laughs> what, do, what do you think of this reading? Well, you know, uh, the couple of the words that really jump out to me or, or images are that he's speaking with authority. And, you know, I know we didn't read it, but the first reading for, for this coming Sunday is from Deuteronomy. And it's uh, Moses who's speaking about a prophet, a greater prophet that will be raised up. And, um, it must have been very, very disorienting for people 
to hear this, uh, to experience someone who's actually speaking with authority. Um, and I think we could spend a good bit of time talking about there are people who out there who claim authority, but they don't speak with it. They, mm-hmm. um, they claim it, but maybe they, I would say sometimes they falsely, and there are a lot of false prophets, obviously, in our time, always yelling at us from various directions. But what, what does it mean to listen to the Lord as someone who speaks to us with authority? And um, I think in American context, sometimes we have a, an ambivalent or ambiguous understanding of authority. We think of, oh, well, ch- parents have authority over their children. But I, I think about, I, I don't know how often I even use that word authority anymore. But I, I think it, for me, it's saying, am I willing to surrender myself to someone with a capital S, someone who has the authority, um, the place to call me, to direct me to someplace else, to live differently, mm-hmm. to be differently, to see differently. Um, and, and when we're children, we sometimes bristle against authority. I'm sure your kids sometimes don't follow what, what you and your husband say. And obviously that's kind of, you know, they're, they're, they're little, they're learning. And, and there's a part of us that always remains as kids that we don't want to change. We don't want to be different. Uh, we don't, and um, that's something that I'm, as I'm preparing, you know, to preach this coming Sunday on that, that's the thing that I keep, I'm wrestling with right now. What, and what resonates with you, Katie? No, I like what you're saying there. The authority is is really seems to be the biggest thing there, but also like at the end right there where he says his fame spread throughout the whole region of Galilee. When you were saying that we have a lot of people who speak with authority, but they speak as if they have authority, but without authority. I do feel like that's a lot of our... Catholic culture in the United States right now is people who are very famous, who have very big platforms, very big voices, but they're maybe not speaking with the authority. It's not Christ. It's not the same thing. It's very different. Uh, But then you sort of shifted my focus thinking about kids and you're right. Um, The kids do push back against things. And and that's sort of where we are as a culture. It feels like we're sort of a teenage culture right mm-hmm. now, constantly pushing back against, uh, you know, the rules and the norms and even the church authority as we've grown up with it. And one of the wisest things anyone ever said to me was said to me by an eighth grade mm-hmm. social studies teacher who gets to deal with those kinds of, you know, the, the middle school aged kids are probably the, the height of their rebellion, maybe, maybe most impotent, but still quite you know, strong in the rebellion. And and what she told me was kids are just, it's just like when you get on a, um, a roller coaster and you put on the big thing that goes over your shoulders. And the very first thing you do after it clicks is push. Like you want to push back against it, uh, against that restraint. And the worst thing that could possibly happen is that it doesn't hold. (laughs) Like you want it to stop. And the, the point of pushing back against authority, just like this, this demon's doing in this, um, in this reading here, you're pushing back against the authority because you want to know that that boundary is real and that that boundary is meaningful and that it, it's going to protect you in some way. Um, so that's kind of what I'm thinking. Like when you brought that around to children, it, it, it made me think as a culture, as, as Christians of faith in the United States right now, we need to get to what holds, you know, we need to push, and realize that it's true. The things that are true will hold, but those things that came around because of celebrity or whatever, 
that's different. I, you know, and I, that all resonates with me. And the, the last lines of the gospel, you see the movement of the spirit uh, through, through these first witnesses to the Lord. They were amazed. Mm-hmm. And then they asked one another, Who, what is this? Someone teaching with authority? So, I mean, we often see this in the gospels, the various emotions, first amazement, surprise, um, and then it's his fame spreads everywhere. But we all we know that fame is fleeting by definition. Um, mm-hmm. And we know that ultimately that fame would lead to um, a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But then shortly that was followed by his crucifixion. So um, we see that the process of conversion of coming to know the Lord is it's a process. And it's not yes. just one, two, three. Sometimes it's three steps forward and two steps back. Um, and that's why we need to be continually in relationship with, with the sacraments. Um, you know, a few weeks ago was Word of God Sunday. And, uh, well, just last week. Um, and, and, and that we remind that the scriptures, uh, you know, the famous line of Jerome, ignorance of the scriptures is ignorance of Christ. This, in order to keep that relationship movement, to keep the conversion process, which is never really ever finished going forward, we need to keep coming back to the scriptures, back to the sacraments. Otherwise, we can get just sidetracked. We can get confused. What is this all about? Uh, and the rest. That's, I think that's a perfect place to stop for for our people this week. Thank you so much for, for your insights into this. Guys, please continue coming back with us to look into these gospel readings. We're heading into Lent right now. Father Anthony is going to be back with us next week, and we're going to be talking about some Lenten practices that you can be putting into place to focus your heart toward Christ so that you can get to know him and get ready for, for you know Lent and for celebrating the missions during that Lenten season. So please join us next week. Thanks for being with us again, Father Anthony. Oh, my, totally my pleasure. Thank you, Katie. Have a great week, guys. Frontiers of Faith is a podcast of the Pontifical Mission Societies, produced by Katie Ruvalcaba. Theme music by Ethan Stevie. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Faith underscore Frontiers and at Frontiers of Faith on Facebook and Instagram. To support the work of the Pontifical Mission Societies, please go to onefamilyinmission.org to donate.